Wonderful. Are you guys excited this morning? Okay, we got two receivers on the left side. That's awesome. How many of you came today expecting God to do something supernatural in your life? Amen. I don't know why the rest of you got out of bed, but for those who just went woohoo or raised your hand, I believe God is going to speak to you today. You know, as I was preparing, and it is indeed great to be um, with you all, I consider you very much uh, not just friends, but to be family, not just ministry associates are uh, people that I want to come through and minister to you or have you come and minister at our conferences, but very much family. And so as I was preparing to come here today, um, uh, throughout the last week, I, God really began to show me some hearts, some faces, and I began to lean in and I began to hear him whisper some things I think that God wants to minister with and to deal with today. I'm going to read you right before we get into this one verse. And the Holy Spirit led me there this morning. And it's in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and verse 52. One verse it's amazing because the background to this text is Jesus' parents um, had been to the temple. They had begun their journey back home. They were unable to locate Jesus, which is, would be kind of hard, right, moms? It's one thing if you lose your children. It's entirely another thing to lose Jesus. And so they went back, and they found him, and he begins to discourse with his parents, and he makes the famous statement, didn't you know that I am to be about my father's business? It's amazing when we get serious about being about the father's business, that there is a new mantle that comes upon our lives, not just in wisdom, but in signs and demonstration of the inner working of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 2 and 52, and it says, and Jesus... From that moment forward, when he was publicly serious about the Father's business and Jesus increased in wisdom, he increased in stature and he increased in both favor with God and with man. Today I want to talk to you about five things that will unlock a life of perpetual increase in your life. If you're like me, some of you have been through seasons where it looks like there is anything happening in your life other than increase. It looks like, as a matter of fact, things have gone in reverse. Things have begun to decline. Things have begun to decrease rather than increase. And so today we want to break the spirit that has had us locked in lack or poverty or insufficiency, break the spirit that has kept us from moving forward in the fullness of what God has for our lives. The other morning I was on a um, three-mile run. I've been starting back running, and I noticed this little pear tree on the side of the road, and I stopped and I began to admire the pear tree and I thought, man, that must just be awesome to just do the one thing that God created you to do. I mean, when I looked at that pear tree in the fullness of its most fruitful, profitable season, I looked at that thing and I thought, man, how exciting. All that pear tree had to do was two things, remain planted and simply produce fruit. Wouldn't it be uncomplicated to think about our lives that all we had to do was simply remain rooted? Hello? You guys can be quiet on me this morning. Remain planted and simply produce fruit. And then I began to think about that tiny little pear seed that started that whole blossoming tree. And I began to think about, I doubt that anyone told that little tiny seed the day that it was going to go in the ground. I mean, imagine just for a moment being that seed and you're literally being buried alive. Ever been there? I mean, people are telling you on the outside, this is, you're going you're gonna to do something exceedingly abundantly greater than what you're able to do all on your own. And all the while, it seems and looks on the exterior like you're being buried alive. I doubt anyone told that seed the day that it was put in the ground and dirt was dumped on top of it. 
that anyone told it, that while every other tree, every other seed around you that's being planted today is going to begin to produce fruit in four to five years, but because you're a pear seed, you've been gifted with producing the greater, the weightier fruit, that when everyone else is producing fruit in four to five years, that it's actually going to take six to 12 years for you to bring forth your first harvest. And the same way, some of you, it's been prophesied, it's been proclaimed that God has been entrusted to you. He's entrusting to you seasons of uncommon harvest where all you're going to have to do is simply stand there in the fullness of his glory. Stand there rooted and grounded. And the only thing that you're going to have to do is produce fruit as others walk by and admire your season of harvest. Come on. What do we do between the season where it's prophesied, the season where everything is being dumped upon us, the lights are shut out, everything goes black. The four years, the five, the six, or maybe even the, depending on the size of your fruit, Maybe even 12 years from the moment that word is set in motion to the moment we see the fruition of that fruit. Some of you, please hear the Holy Spirit this morning. And I ask him to give me strength to deliver this word precisely as he wants it delivered. Before we enter that season of where we gain and master and sustain seasons of increase, I want to ask us one fair and balanced question this morning. What is stripping us of the increase that is already in our now? Because God will never trust us with more until we're willing to master what is in our now. I dare say there are many. I love what you said as you were taking up the offering. How profound, what a great, perfect analogy that God will never entrust you with more until we're willing to surrender our now. So many times we think, well, if we can just save, if, if we can just figure an angle on how to work this thing called increase, if we can just stockpile or accumulate more, and the whole time we're not understanding that that goes against the grain of God's perfect theology. He asks us to surrender. He asks us to release. We come to him first with empty hands before we come with open hands. So Holy Spirit, today we pray as we begin to divulge into this word on increase. We ask you to shatter the mindset of lack, poverty, and insufficiency. Today we ask you to take and cast down all false imaginations, all incorrect teaching, all incorrect ideology, all incorrect self-assessment, and today we ask you for those who embrace this word on increase, that God, you would enlarge their territory. You would deliver their descendants. You would double their inheritance and you would give them a legacy that is totally unending. And we thank you for that this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so we're discerning enough to decipher what is stealing the fruit in our present. We will never be able to sustain the blessings that are in our future. You know, I've watched, and, and many times this was me, so I'm going to throw myself in this analogy. But I have watched individuals live from miracle to miracle to miracle. Miracle Monday to Miracle Friday to Miracle February to Miracle July. And I've watched as miracles entered their life but they were never able to sustain the miracle-working power of God in their life. And it dawned on me, it is totally possible to receive the blessings of God, but never retain the blessings of God. And I think that is one of the most miserable postures, think about that, that we could live life from, is to say on one hand, yes, we've seen the miracle-working power of God. We've tasted miracles. We've smelt miracles. We could tell our stories of the miracles that we've seen and encountered. And yet somehow 
there is a disconnect from the season that we receive the miracles and to the season where those same miracles should be sustained. The prophet Haggai, he passed judgment on the leaders of the nation because he said, you so much, but you reap little. And he said, the problem isn't with your sowing. He lived in a generation where they were some of the most lavish givers, the greatest seed sowers you could ever imagine. And the prophet said, the problem isn't with your sowing. He said, it's the what and the who that you're sowing into. He likened his generation. He said, you're taking God's best oil. He said, you're taking the very best, the greatest wisdom, measure of wisdom that the people of God have. You're taking the finest, purest oil, the miracle producing oil. And he said, you're pouring it out, but you're pouring it into broken vessels that have zero capacity to retain what they receive. See, we can pour out the finest oil. We can pray ourselves into a miracle season. But if we take the pure and we pour it in containers that are toxic, the oil, rather than matriculating and rather than the oil multiplying and producing fruit, that same oil becomes rancid because it's being poured into a vessel that on the exterior looks beautiful. The vessel looks competent. The vessel looks whole. But in reality, we're taking God's finest oil and we're pouring it into containers that can never replicate the miracle producing power of the Holy Spirit. Let me break it down. He said the problem in this generation, he said, isn't the quality or the quantity of oil. The problem, can I tell you today, isn't the oil. The Holy Spirit is as powerful as he has ever been. When I pull up YouTube clips and I watch in the 1950s and 60s and I see the miraculous healing power of God where individuals are getting up out of wheelchairs, where divine supernatural signs and wonders are flowing through the building, I have to stop and ask myself, what changed? What's the missing ingredient? Why two generations or even a generation ago did we see the miracle-working power of the Holy Spirit and why it's almost nearly impossible to find that same flow, that corporate flow of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in this generation. And the Holy Spirit stopped me. And he said, Tracy, the oil has not changed, but the containers that the oil have being being poured into it's their level of holiness hello their level of hunger that has changed the prophet didn't judge the oil he judged the leaders that poured the precious oil into toxic containers can i tell you that the container is as important as the content see it is easy and I know this is a hard word. We're going to get to the happy part in just a minute, okay? I mean, you just heard the greatest comedian in the world. And, I, and this, this word's bumped right up to that. Come on, somebody. You should do stand-up for a living. You're that good. Listen. Amen. She's that good. Holy Spirit anointed stand-up. God, give me a measure of that right there. What has changed? What has changed? There was a season in my life where I was validated by someone who said, hey, Dr. Mitchell, we're, we're driving across three states to come and hear you preach, and there's just something in me. I mean, I was so young. I mean, this may even have been before the Internet. I don't know. Maybe they called me and said, you know, we're driving across three, three states. We're bringing our church bus, and we want the wisdom and the knowledge and the, the power of God, you know that is on your life. And I would think, wow, someone is taking their vacation time and driving across three states because they want to receive from the anointing. How superficial. 
that is on the inside of me. And that vacuum of validation worked on my flesh until I discerned that that same person in that cha same church was driving next week to Dr. Wackadoo's conference across town or the week following that, we're going to Sister Scheister's conference the week following. And I began to see that they were just simply addicted to soaking up, mopping up whatever was in the environment. And the truth was they weren't depositing anything of value when they came that Sunday. But they were simply mopping up, hello, what everybody else, the pure vessels, the hungry vessels, the vessels that longed to see the presence of God, the vessels that had worked to live a righteous and holy life to the best of their abilities, but they were simply going from conference to conference, soaking up the good, the bad, the doctrinally sound, and all the heresy combined. Why? Because they were simply busy being soakers. Can I tell you, we will never see the miracle working power of God. We will never just enter into an environment and like a vacuum just extract what is in it and expect it to stay. See, you can extract what's in an environment, but when you go home, where is that miracle seven days later? Where is the working and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit 14 days later? Because if you're just living off borrowed anointing, it's a good spot for an amen. If you're just living and consuming the anointing of a place or of a person, there's no residual working power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. They're busy being soakers. You know, I began to study people, and I like to study because that gives me something to write about. So I study people, and I realized that in our meetings that I never... And don't get offended. I'll give you opportunity for that later, right? I noticed that millionaires never stood on chairs and screamed when I preached. But the millionaires in the room, the thinkers, the evaluators, they would take and they would begin to document, Pastor, and they would begin to write. And they would write relentlessly. Why? Because their mind led their emotions you will never experience sustained increase if your mind remains a prisoner to your emotions and memories. That is a million-dollar thought there. You will never experience sustained miracle-working increase in your life if your mind remains a prisoner to your emotions. Almost every place that Jesus went, this is where you can be offended, right here. Everywhere that Jesus went, I noticed there were two sets of people that screamed out at him when he walked by. One was the group who were in desperate need of miracles. The second were the demon-possessed. Everybody still here? The only people that screamed were those who needed a miracle. And if you've ever needed a miracle, baby, you better guarantee that if I'm going to scream so Jesus can hear me as he walks by, baby, I'm in that line. But be assured, the only other group that cried out when Jesus walked by were those who were absolutely full of the devil himself. That makes me wonder, not everybody that shouts for us, I mean, you got to know your crowd. I'm at the place, Jesus, the wealthy, the educated, those who were truly hunger, hungered, they asked for a private one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus, and they made a decision based on the information presented. Those who have quantum leap growth spurts of faith, who I see the Holy Spirit working in the greatest in their lives are not the shout happy, but are those who document every word spoken. They ask for a sidebar impartation. They read, they study, they make an executive Holy Spirit decision in their lives. I want every teacher, every entrepreneur, every CEO, and every executive to listen to me right now. This year in 2017, 
I want you to make it a, a decisive decision to quit pouring the best of you, the best oil, the best accumulated wisdom, knowledge, resource, and energy, and to those who are unable to at least replicate on a small level what you're pouring into them. Did you hear it? God is giving you an instruction if you want to see marginal increase in your life and your business and your walk with the Holy Spirit, quit emptying all of you into every toxic container that walks by. Amen. Evaluate who you're pouring into. I've had protégés that always want a conversation. And the moment they quit walking out that wisdom is the moment that I quit talking. It's the moment that I shut it down. Why? Because every drop of oil, and I mean this with all humility, every drop of anointing in my life costs me something. It's not cheap. It's not free. I don't, I'm tired of people that live like literally hell on earth and have no, no motivation to change. That they're jacked up in a crisis, jammed up in a crisis, and that I've locked myself in a prayer closet for seven days and fasted for 30, but yet they want to come down and want me to take what's been reserved in, in my reservoir and empty it into a toxic container. The prophet said, quit. He said, it's not that you don't sow. It's not that you don't pour out the oil, but you're pouring it and to containers that have absolutely no potential. Hmm. There's not a thought in my, my little mind that lives rent-free. Why should it live in someone else's head rent-free? Come on. Come on. Every ounce of anointing in your life. We only have a Holy Spirit reservoir. God gives us anointing, wisdom, workings of miracles, the gifts, the fruit of the Spirit, in particular the gifts. To a certain measure it is appropriated to each person. And while we've been taught on that, I want to ask, have we been taught on how we measure out the reservoir of what the Holy Spirit gives us? Because what we receive from the Holy Spirit, we're responsible for managing it. Hello. What the Holy Spirit gives to you, workings of miracles, signs, wonders, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, that is a reservoir that he reserves for those that he wants that anointing emptied out on. And if we're emptying, and I'm just going to teach for a second, is that okay? If we're emptying that reservoir in toxic containers, then we're sowing into people, we're sowing into situations that are totally incapable of replicating the anointing that's being poured out. I believe that in the generation that we're living in, if there's ever a time to govern and to be intentional about the reservoir of what the Holy Spirit has on the inside of us. It is in this generation. I don't want to just pour out into every vessel that comes by. But he said evaluate the vessel. See if this vessel has the, the will to replicate what he's depositing into their lives. Here's what I've learned. How we react to a season of struggle will only be amplified in seasons of success. Remember, we're talking about increase. Because there is exponentially more stress in your seasons of success than there ever will be in your seasons of struggle. And if you don't believe that, then you're still in your season of struggle. Tracy, how could success be more difficult than the struggle? Here's how. Because during seasons of success, you're not only responsible for managing you, for making room for you, for opening the door for yourself. But during seasons of success, you're responsible for managing everyone else that's in your environment. So which is more difficult, seasons of struggle 
are seasons of success. You go from managing yourself to now you're managing the mess of everyone in your environment. And if we cannot handle the stress of lack, how will we handle the stress of success? Most people think that the cure for lack is more. If we can't manage the five cents in our account, if we can't manage the two miracles that God gives us, See, I, 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 and, and this is hard this morning. I don't know why. I wish I just had a, a blow-through, happy, blow-up word. I don't. I'm not going to fake it. Listen. I have seen individuals that receive a miracle, and we celebrate the house down. Because truthfully, when someone we're connected to receives a miracle, it has taken a lot of work. Hello? to see that miracle manifest in their life. I mean, I know that technically all we have to have is faith to see the miracle workings of the Holy Spirit, but we believe in sprinkling in faith with fasting and prayer and positive confession and hello. So by the time that miracle becomes manifest, nothing is more irksome. I know to myself and probably the Holy Spirit I'm not going to speak for him. I'm going to make a presumptuous statement. But how horrible would it be to give someone a miracle that they fought and prayed and fasted and we pressed and believed and then all of a sudden that miracle is gone in seven days. The fruit of that miracle is gone in 21 days. It's not just enough to sit and receive, to be soakers of the anointing. But God expects us to multiply the miracles. He expects us to multiply that level of uncommon anointing. God gives us warm-up moments. I love this about God. He gives us warm-up moments behind the scenes before he ever gives us the main stage. And aren't we thankful? I mean, he'll give you the opportunity to pray for someone in Walmart before he gives you the opportunity to pray for your head CEO at your company. And I'm so thankful. I'm sure that's how Moses felt when he uh, had to face the sorcerers of Pharaoh's palace. I'm sure as he stood there that day in Pharaoh's castle in Egypt. I mean, think about what that must have looked like. That his mind began to rewind. Have you ever been in a moment and had a weird sense of deja vu and God began to rewind the script of your life and took you back to a place when? I mean, maybe you just got that new 6,000 square feet, but he takes you back to the trailer park in the back of the, come on. So he takes Moses on a trip in his mind back to the desert, and Moses is standing there, and it's kind of comical because God told Moses, he said, I'm about to take you into a supernatural season of uncommon increase. Moses, I'm going to show you how to do the workings of miracles. What about if when you got home in your prayer closet today, God whispered in your ear after church, he said, I'm about to take you into a new depth that you've never experienced before. And I'm going to show you how to do uncommon acts and supernatural miracles. And I'm going to take you and I'm going to position you once you learn how to do this in front of kings of nations, and I'm going to help you through the working of these miracles deliver three million people. How exciting does that sound? Work with me a little. So Moses is excited. God, you're really going to use me? Yes, Moses, I'm going to use you. You're really going to help me lead three million people and make them free? Yes, Moses, I'm going to use you. God, you're really going to do. And So he said, to prove my word, Moses, I want you to take the staff that's been in your hand. And he said, yes, God, I'm ready. And the staff, whoo, the staff is ready. And he said, I want you to throw the staff down. And he threw the staff down, and immediately the staff became a serpent. Now, there are only a couple of things that I fear, and one of those is a serpent. And it's amazing because God just told him, I'm going to show you how to do miracles. 
and Moses obediently throws it down and becomes a snake. And the least read verse in that entire parenthetical is verse 15. And Moses ran and hid himself. God's mighty man for the hour. And verse 15, and Moses ran and hid himself. I can't tell you the times that God has spoken to me. Tracy, we're going to up this thing. We're going to a new level. We're going to conquer new devils. And I'm, yes, 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 God. And all of a sudden, he gives me an instruction, and that instruction turns into one of my greatest fears. Hello. <sighs> Moses ran and hid, and you think the Lord would have a little compassion for his humanity. But God didn't. And God tells Moses, he said, I want you to go back and pick up what you fear most. I want you to go back and pick up what you fear most. See, there will always be breaker walls between an instruction that God gives you and when we see the manifestation of what God has promised. And whatever that is, I can promise you that God will give you fresh opportunity to enlarge your faith. And Moses, he said, Moses, go pick it up. Confront what you fear. And I love this. No crowd, no stage, no mic. I'm so happy that God works with us when no one else is watching. Because wouldn't it have been pitiful if he was standing before Pharaoh and he says, oh, great and mighty Pharaoh, watch this. And then he runs and hides himself in Pharaoh's palace. So God will always give us warm-up moments when no one is watching. And suddenly there's this awkward pause and transition within the story. It doesn't say how long it took, but eventually Moses went back and picked it up. And God tells Moses, he said, now that I've given you a taste of the supernatural he said, I want you to go and prove yourself to Pharaoh. Man, isn't that an interesting line? I looked it up in every translation, the transliteration, it's all the same. Because I'm thinking he would tell Moses, now Moses, go and prove me, Jehovah God. Adonai. All the superlatives of being God incarnate. And he literally tells Moses, he said, go prove yourself to Pharaoh. See, there are, again, times in the earth where God said, yes, I want you to represent me, but you're going to have to prove your anointing in order to represent me. It's more than just going, God said, God does. But he actually had to use Moses and he said, if, I, you're, if I'm going to use you to free three million people, you're going to have to prove your own salt before Pharaoh. And so Moses and Aaron, them two, went before Pharaoh, and they did just as God commanded. And for a few minutes, I'm sure Moses feels like, man, I got this thing, because he had practiced relentlessly. Ever done that? You've got God's going to use you in a way coming up. You're laughing. That must be you. God's going to use you in, a, in an uncommon way coming up. And we're, I mean, I remember when I was young, I would have a big event. And, man, I thought I was like Joyce Myers or something. And I would get in my living room, and I would have my pulpit in the middle of my living room. And I would set up three circles like their television cameras. And I would have my pajamas on and my stilettos on. So, I mean, I had a flannel shirt and flannel pants and my stilettos because I was not about to preach without my cute shoes. And so I would stand up behind that pulpit, and, man, I would preach every day. I would preach that message like I was preaching it before 3,000. And I'm sure Moses feels that way, practicing that, that trick with the staff on the back side of the desert. Pick it up. Throw it down. Pick it up. Throw it down. And he walks before Pharaoh, and he walks in. Hi, King Pharaoh, I'm Moses, and I'm here to deliver three million of my countrymen. And we're just not going to just walk out of your country. We're going to take all the wealth of your country, 
and we're going to put it on our backs when we leave. Hello? This trick better be good. And he said, to prove that God has entrusted me with this mantle, he said, watch this. And he takes the rod and he throws it on the ground. And it doesn't say it, but I'm sure Pharaoh almost laughed off the throne. Because he snaps his fingers and he calls for the sorcerers and the magistrates and all the magicians of the palace. And he said, <laughs> you guys got to see this. He said he's going to take all three million and our wealth because he turned that rod into a snake. And he snapped his fingers and 34 of them came forward and they threw down their rods and their rods became vipers. What do you do when your increase is made to feel small? I mean, have you ever been there where you get a, $10 a raise hour and you're feeling awesome until your crazy unrighteous brother-in-law comes home for Christmas and talks about that upper six-figure salary hike that he just got and you're looking at your $10 an hour and you were feeling really 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 good until he pulls up and his new whatever right so Moses is standing there and his little serpent, little tiny serpent, is now facing 40 vipers. And his increase of the anointing is made to feel small. But the beautiful thing is when you're in a God-appointed season of increase, God will anoint your one to be greater than their 40. And it says, and the serpent of Moses swallowed up the vipers of all of Egypt. Hello? God is going to position some of you. He's been training you. He's been equipping you. He's been showing you small incremental measures of the anointing. And it scared some of you to death. You don't know what to do with it. Well, I was standing in Walmart the other day, and I really felt impressed too, but I didn't. I really wanted to go pray for her, but I... And you're shrinking back because you're fearful of the new level of increase that God is giving you. I really want to show X number of dollars, but I'm, I'm sitting over here and I'm calculating the... And he's dealing with you. All I can promise you is that God will never shortchange you ever. Ever, 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 ever. And when he's taking you up a level and you begin to feel that, that level of increase coming, sometimes you will be challenged by what you fear most. If that's giving, if that is whatever it is, giving a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, praying for somebody, witnessing to someone. I mean, my goodness, you know they're hell bound and yet they're still a part of you. Well, I know I should say something about church or Jesus or something. And, and you pull back. From what God has for your life. Let me hurry. The purpose, write this down. The purpose of increase is not to get you more, it's to advance the kingdom of God. The moment that increase becomes about you is the moment that increase will diminish in your life. It's never about you, it's about building the kingdom of God. Jesus shared with his disciples the parable of a proprietor. We know it, we won't turn and read it. But he goes on a journey, and so he entrusts his servants with different measures. And I like that because that's symbolic of measures of the anointing while he's gone. And he comes back to take an evaluation of what they've done with what's been entrusted to them. And the first one that he inquires of, he doubles it. The second one doubles it. I believe that's right. The third one, he comes up to and he said, well, what did you do with the increase that I gave you? I mean, here's the deal. The servant didn't have to work to get anything. The proprietor in the parable gave him everything. And he said, what did you do? How did you manage what I gave you? This is crazy. He actually blamed his lack of productivity on the man that gave him what he had. Think about it. He said, well, you were too hard. You demanded too much. I know that you reap where you sow not. Baby, if, if, if I can connect with somebody 
that's learned the secret to reaping where they haven't even planted. Baby, I'll manage everything that you have. Give me more. I'll turn this thing upside down. But he actually, because it was in his heart, he blamed the proprietor. Some of you, God is wanting to give you more. And you know who you're blaming? Not your lazy self, unproductive self, dare to step out of the box, dare to do something uncommon, but blaming God. God, that's just more than I can do. God, I know you gave it to me, but that's more than I can handle. God, now you're just pushing me out of my comfort zone. The proprietor said, you wicked, slothful, lazy servant. He did. He said, strip him of his casual indifference to the opportunity to increase that I gave him. Strip him of it and give it to the one that will actually double what I gave him. Think about it. I believe there's a radical transference in the kingdom of wealth, hear me, anointing, signs and wonders, miracles, because we're living in a generation that demands them. And there's going to be a radical transference from those who are indifferent and casual towards those things. And he's actually going to take it to those who have not used it, tapped into it, been callous or indifferent to it. And he's actually going to place it into the hands of those who long for it. Somebody say amen. And the sad truth is they're not even going to discern it before it's left their life. They'll be like Samson. They won't even discern. And he wists not that the anointing has departed from his life. That is a solemn, solemn, solemn scripture. Listen, we're guilty of applauding the receiver. How many of you know what American football is? A few fans. I think in American football, so most of my analogies are, I was watching Alabama play the other day, my team, and this Alabama quarterback made this beautiful 40-plus yard spiral pass, and it was beautiful. It wasn't too high or low, floated perfectly. The spiral just, it never, never lost shape. And he threw it downfield to his receiver, and the receiver made a beautiful over-the-back blind eye catch, hit him right in the sweet spot. And that receiver took off running down the field and he scored points for our team. And I began to think about that one thing. No matter how skilled the quarterback is, no matter how skilled that you are at receiving what has been thrown or tossed your way, if you don't accumulate yards when you receive then your reception is totally invaluable. I mean, I can't imagine what the coach would, I can't imagine what our coach would have done if that receiver would have called that perfect spiral pass and just stood there and said, boy, I did good. That was a great catch. Did you see how pretty that was? Let me just set the ball down for a little bit. And y'all, let's hit that on the, re, on the highlight reel. Let's go back and watch that again. I mean, that was just a perfect reception. You know what would have happened? The opposing team would have ran over that boy, slaughtered him, picked up the ball, and ran the other direction. There are some things that God, he's got a beautiful pass. He's throwing our way. He's laying it out for us. And our job is not just to catch what heaven sends and stand there and go, boy, we did good catching that miracle today. I mean, I think in sarcasm. Are you getting that? Yeah. See, those of us who are not naturally funny, we think in sarcasm. There are things that God is sending our way. And we act as if we're successful because we're catching them. God never celebrates the fact that we just stand there and receive heaven's best. God places a demand. What are you doing with what I sent you? Is it multiplying? Is it increasing? Is it advancing the kingdom of God? See, I celebrate with everything that my protégés do, but those, those early young protégés, 
man, that's great. You did good. You're wonderful. But those third and fourth year protégés, I stopped cheerleading and I started inquiring about their multiplying. It's not that I'm not proud of what they're receiving, but I need to know, are you actually multiplying? Because the Holy Spirit told me, he said, Tracy, receiving without multiplying is actually failure. Receiving, let's break it down, and salvation. Freely you've what? Now, and or for, but nor yet, conjunctions. Now, what? Go and make disciples. Hello. From the beginning in Genesis all the way through Revelation, the demand is not just on receiving what heaven sends, but are we multiplying what David sends? I'm going to wrap it up with this. Give me, give me about five more minutes. Listen. There's so much. I could talk about increase for a week. As your anointing increases, document this, so will your critics. Anointing is proportionate to criticism. Anointing is proportionate to criticism. In fact, criticism is the barometer of increase so that you will know that you're entering into a new season. You will never experience increase without conflict because hidden in the context of the conflict is your key to the increase. You just have to buy the whole series to understand that. But David, walking through the valley of Elah on his way to kill Goliath. See, that's the thing I love about David. He went to bring his brother's provision. He had no idea because he was being a servant that day how radically his life would be altered and how quickly God could create increase in his kingdom. But David was walking through the valley of Elah, Elah, and he heard the accusations of Israel's enemy, the contentious mouth of an adversary. So David reached down, we know, and he picked up five smooth stones out of the brook there. And most leaders, we know that he went and killed Goliath, and most leaders celebrate the fact that David was bold enough to confront Goliath, and he actually killed him. Here's the problem. If we're not careful during moments of victory, we will lose the purpose of the battle. If we're so busy celebrating the victory of today, carrying around the head of Goliath, I mean, can you imagine little teenage David? And this, how many feet was Goliath? Nine something? Massive. Walking around this young teenage boy with the head of his adversary in his hand. Can you imagine, man, yeah, we shut down that mouth. That mouth ain't running now, is it? I know y'all think this. We shut them down. God shut them down. I mean, if we don't want to seem arrogant and get in the flesh, we'll blame God. God shut them down. God shut that mouth. God cut down our enemies before us. So David is walking around with the head of Goliath in his hand. And the amazing thing, I mean, he's high-fiving everybody. That he walks off with the head of Goliath, but he leaves the source of his increase on the battlefield. See, the most important thing you will walk away from in a battle is not the bloody head of your enemy, but the resources that will empower you to win future battles. See, if we're perpetually increasing, the battle that we've just come out of will not be our last battle. Why? Because there is always a battle for territory. And if you're wanting to increase in the kingdom, there will always be another battle. So the problem is we celebrate and we take out of the battle things that are unnecessary for our future and leave the things that are germane and 100% necessary on the battlefield of life because our personality and our egos and our flesh dwell on what we've done rather than what is hidden in the context of the battle. Mm. Listen. Every warrior needs a priest. Every priest needs a warrior. A young warrior in training walked off the battlefield, and he forgot the sword of his enemy. But Elimelech the priest walks by, and he picks up 
what a warrior overlooked. And he takes it back to his tent because I'm sure that a, a Limelech, was it a Limelech or a Bimelech? Either way. He stands there on the battlefield and I think he just shakes his head with all the godly wisdom that he could. And he said, while that young boy's walking around, high-fiving everybody with a head, have Goliath in his hands. He said he's overlooked what he's going to need next. And that's the sword that will defeat his enemy. And he picked it up and he walked it over to his tent. He was discerning enough to know if a boy that's that young can take down Goliath as a teenager, then surely there's a bigger battle in his future. See, a stone took down Goliath, but it was going to take down swords, plural, to take down a nation. And while he toppled a giant off a hill, he had mountains that loomed in his future. Let me ask you, what in your life? Some of you are about to come out of a battle. Some of you are about to enter one. Some of you are celebrating a battle of victory, and rightly so, that you just came out of. But don't walk off the battlefield prematurely. Don't get your eyes so horizontally fixed that you leave on the battlefield the nature of what is going to bring you victory in your next. If I can have somebody come and play, I've got about five minutes. Listen. Increase demands that you see yourself differently. It demands that you see yourself differently. I see myself entirely different at 40-ish than I did at 20-ish. And aren't we thankful? But I believe at 40-something that I am the seed to someone else's favor. I believe that God has appointed me to be the center of connectivity. I believe I am the source of increase and I am the link to someone's divine prosperity. I believe that I look far better in my future than I do right now. Some of you just need to be persuaded of that one thought. And if you could just hold that just for one second. I believe that some of you, you look far better in your future than you look right now. The problem is you're not prophesying yourself into your future. You're not speaking the word into your future I often think about Deborah. I, I can't validate this any more than I can that there's a legitimate moon out there somewhere. But I was thinking about Deborah the other day, how God used her in a prophetic way to prophesy to the military giant Barak. And when a, when a leader of a nation had no answer that this woman who sat under a palm tree and listened to the whisperings of the Holy Spirit, how God would entrust her with a stratagem and a game plan to defeat the armies of opposing nations. See, sometimes it's not the one with a brilliant mental strategy, but the one who sits under a tree and listens for the voice of the Holy Spirit. What is God saying? What is God speaking? What is God doing? And she told the general, she said, because of the course of action that you've chosen to take, God is going to give you victory, but it's not going to come through a man's hands. It's going to come through a woman's hands. Now, if I was Deborah and God had appointed me to give a general information that would set our nation free, and God was promising that he was going to use a woman to bring about a victory that day, foresight and wisdom would be for me to try at least to factor myself into the equation. Come on, that's not heresy. That's a pondering mental thought that if God has given you a stratagem and it's going to come through a woman from the nation of Israel, <laughs> right? Well, God, in your sovereignty and my meekness, could you, could you please, I, I volunteer, could you please let that? But nowhere does it record that she even thought of herself. Sometimes. We can have a prophetic word for every other person, every other situation, but we neglect because we feel unworthy, unrighteous, not the person that God could, should, or might could use. And you can go online and get the other two parts to this, but you can just start to play.
And my time is finished. Listen. Real soft. On March 15th of this year, my husband and I were, would just come off two or three amazing, successful things. And we'd experienced four of the most traumatic things back to back to back to back. You know, I can't explain seasons with God. I don't even, I, I, I can't even scratch the surface. I've tried four decades now. There's no rhyme or, or rhythm or systematic thinking that I can even begin to understand. I wish I could explain your season to you. I do well to explain my season to me, right? So we'd been in a season of uncommon. It was a 30-day window when I say a season, specifically 28 days for things back to back to back that we couldn't put on social media, horrific, horrible things that had happened, and they were all personal attacks. One was a legitimate murder plot where six people had tried to murder a murder for hire, someone that's related to us. And there was a death involved, and there was other situations, and I'm just giving you a highlight. But within that same 30-day window of time, we'd also signed five national television contracts. And you were in a meeting with me, who 24 hours before what I'm about to tell you, they were sitting with me down near the beach in America. And we were sitting there, and there was, what was it, 30 of us around the room. I was number 29. And Dr. Brown had told us each to talk about our dream, and we did. And when he got to number 29, he said, could you repeat that this time more slowly? And I did. And he turned around to Karen, his wife, which you know, and he said write her a check for the four grand that she needs for a new 4K camera. And so we'd had four things that were horrific. He had no idea. And then we had four things that were just back-to-back -back equally as amazing as they were devastating. And so I got home, and this was March the 10th. It was less than 24 hours of me leaving you. My husband and I had been gone for 17 days. I had to preach the next morning in Dallas. We get on our bicycles, pedal bikes. We decided to go a block and a half from home. We go a block and a half from home. This crazy, I believe, demon-possessed dog, about 60 pounds, comes running out. And it busts through my husband's bike, throws him into the air. And he spent the last four and a half months in a wheelchair. He's just now on crutches, just beginning to walk. Took us three and a half weeks to find a trauma surgeon that would even take his case. And so Dr. Brown called me the next morning. And I knew that the night that it happened, and I'm going to take him to three trauma centers not knowing what was going to happen. And in my spirit, I knew. I knew that I knew that I knew that how I handled the next 24 hours would be dependent on what would happen in my imminent future. And I stood there. I took him to three trauma centers that night. No one could touch him. They had no idea. We brought him home. They wouldn't even check him in because they couldn't deal with this case. Who doesn't know how to deal with a case in a trauma center? We brought him home, and I called our daughters over, and I said, babies, I said, I hate it. And I said, but I'm going to do the unthinkable. I said, be at our house at 9 a.m. I'm leaving at 9 a.m., and I'm walking into a pulpit at 10 a.m. And I walked into that pulpit at 10 a.m., and I preached how the devil can steal your increase without your authority and without your permission. Dr. Brown called me the next day and he said, hey, I know that you got a long half a year ahead of you. He said, if you want to take that seed money that we gave you for that 4K camera, he said, do with it whatever you need. He said, that's a gift from Karen and I. Do whatever you feel. And I said, Dr. Brown, I appreciate it and I thank you. I said, but the 4K camera is already ordered. And I said, here's why. I said, if every time God gets ready to elevate us and increase us, if we give him an inch, he'll take a mile. In the next 24 hours, if he knows that he can strip what's just been sown into my life, he'll do it every single time. And I said, so while I know that that $4,000 could be used for something else, I said, I'm going to use it exactly where God predestined it to go. And I walked into a pulpit, and I preached on the inability of the enemy to steal the increase that's in your future. Some of you, all hell is broken loose. You've been through crazy things. There have been death threats, death assignments. Tracy, doesn't that make you nervous to even say those words out loud? Not at all. 
Why? Because I know the source of what's next. And I know if I can defeat a Goliath today that there's an army that God will give me the victory in tomorrow. And if he has to have a priest that stores up the weapon in my next season because I'm too foolish or too inexperienced to discern it, that God will set aside what is necessary for my next while I'm still tripping over my now. Today, I don't know what you need. Our time is up. I want you to stand with me this morning. I don't know what you need. I have no idea what season that you're in. I will say this, during that season, my youngest was getting ready to give birth and we were a hair's breadth away from losing her and our, our newborn granddaughter. And then an hour previous to this, there were no signs of impending danger at all. And I remember I was sitting, and I'm just saying this. I know, I know we've got to go, but I'm just saying this because the Holy Spirit, I really feel, wants me to share this for somebody. We went into that, to that waiting room, and we had no idea what, what was ahead of us. But the Holy Spirit will always give you discernment. Because we'd sat there for like 17 hours and everybody was cutting jokes and a room full of 30 people were laughing and we were sending out video messages and text messages. And we were celebrating and all of a sudden I was sitting, I was sitting in a chair right there and I never will forget it. I felt a wave, a nauseous wave flow over me. And I looked at my husband and I said, something is wrong. He said, baby, everything's fine. We've just been here a little bit longer. Everything is fine. I said, baby, everything is not fine. I said, you've got two choices. I said, because this is a mama talking and a woman that knows God talking. I said, you can sit here. I said, or you can bust through those doors with me because I know that my baby's in trouble. Man, I flew through those back doors. You should have seen those people trying to restrain me, but that's what a mama does. And I said, I want to know what's going on and what's happening in room 114 or whatever it was. And some nurse just in her cute little self just turned, we're having it, trying to have a baby. I said, I know we're trying to have a baby, but this Spirit of God has told me something's going on in room 114. And I said, I want you to go room 114, and you better come back and give me a report. See, God will alert you, and you can have people try to talk you out of it. I'm talking to someone right now. You can have them try to dismiss it. But God will make you alert. He'll make you steady. He'll make you ready. And in that moment, everything in me kicked into overdrive. Discernment, foresight. He will alert you. He will give you dreams. He will give you moments to where you, where you know you have to press. And you have to pray. Bow your heads with me. Holy Spirit, today I thank you that you've spoken on increase. God, there is a wave of supernatural miracles and uncommon increase. God, that you want to bring this particular body that is sitting in this room. God, we've known it. We've seen it. God, they're on the other side of the valley. They're on the other side of victory, and we thank you for that, God. But today we come with great expectation that as we begin to step into that wave, into that river of an uncommon harvest, of a supernatural harvest, God, that you are bringing increase on a level, God, that it's going to take great discernment. God, it's going to require Josephs that know more than just how to raise and grow a harvest, but Josephs that know how to have a stratagem on how to deal with the harvest once it's here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are giving them divine strategies, blueprints, documentations on how not to just bring in the harvest, but God, it would be a sustainable harvest. A sustainable harvest in the name of Jesus. Today, I know that some of you need to leave. But I just felt all week that I'm to pray for at least a handful of you today. If you're in that transient season and you're ready for God to take you, he's been dealing with you about taking you to a deeper place, a higher place, a place where you will hear his ear in a clear way, his voice in your ear in a clear way that you want to step out and begin to see not just be in an atmosphere of seeing signs and wonders, but to literally allow those supernatural signs and wonders to flow through you. If that's you today, would you just wave your hand at me? 
Wave your hands all across this room. Thank you, Holy Spirit. If that's you, I want you to step out of where you are right now. And I want you to make your way down here. In the last few months, we have seen, I started going back out again, preaching at the end of May. And since then, I've seen uncommon miracles. Why? Because I was in a season recently where we needed to see miracles. And there's nothing like God allowing you to press in for miracles because you're needing a miracle. See, there are many ways that God will train you. There are many ways that God will train you. And he's been training in this season because we've been hungry and thirsty for divine miracles. He's been showing us and he's been releasing a wave of uncommon miracles in this place. If you would just start singing or playing about miracles, raise your hands in here with me today. Come on. I want to hear you for the next three or four minutes. I want to begin to hear you pray as we, as we begin to pray over you. That's right. Begin to pray out loud. Begin to raise him up. Begin to press and pray. I believe that miracles are going to explode in this place. I believe there are going to be supernatural signs and wonders. I, I know that some of you have been in that place and you've been doubting and you've been questioning. You've been wondering how long will this season last? Will this season ever shift? I believe today there's going to be a supernatural shift, a changing of the guard, a changing of the gear. I believe that God is going to catapult some of you so fast and so far. You're literally going to miss a few gears. God's going to strip the gears trying to get you into the season of where he's predetermined and predestined you to be all along. I want you to pray. If you know, if you have the gift of prayer, in the Holy Spirit. I want to hear you pray in your prayer language. I want to hear you press this morning. Raise him up. Begin to declare the miracles that you want to see manifest. Begin to speak out loud what you're longing God to do in your life. If I could just get a few ushers over here, I want to start this side and we're going to work our way down and we're going to pray.